um, that I've been under the weather this week. And, uh, you know, I thought that I was recovering. And then Friday morning I woke up um, and my eyes were like stuck shut. And so um, definitely not what I would consider to be 100% today. Um, but, you know, thanks, thanks Mike and the band for, uh, for leading us in worship this morning. I mean, I, I, Jen, I don't know if you picked all these songs on purpose. It seems like they're absolutely aligned to what we're talking about today. Um, you know, principally God's amazing grace and, um, the revelation that we have through Christ Jesus. And, um, we've been, we've been in the book of Romans now. Um, I think we're, this is the fifth week and, um, over that time, we've been talking through, uh, Paul's been going through kind of the, the depravity of human nature and our sinful nature, and um, it's gotten pretty bleak. Um, and so you made it this far. I'm glad that you guys um, stuck through it because today we are transitioning into um, good news, and it's all through our hope in, uh, and faith through Jesus Christ. So before we get going, let me, uh, let me pray. Um, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for today. Thank you for letting us wake up this morning, um, breathe breath in our lungs, and be able to um, come in front of you and, and worship you together, Lord. And I pray that um, that as I work through this message this morning, that you speak through me and that we um, bring you glory as we learn and appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we are uh, we are jumping into the second part of a four-part um, sermon on Ro- or uh, series on Romans, and up until this point, um, you know we've been we've been looking at our sinful nature, like I said, and um, you know after Paul introduced himself and why he was writing to the Church of Rome, um, he went on to kind of put out his thesis in the letter, and it's you could kind of jump over it in chapter one, but he's really talking about the fact that righteousness shall live by faith. But then he talks about God's wrath against the unrighteous and then goes on and talks about how not only the Jews, but also all the rest of us who are not Jews are enslaved by sin and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And last week, Spencer kind of preached and I I think it was funny because he was was like, man, I, I really got you know, the, the tough end of the stick here because you get to go preach on the grace and, and I had to preach on um, on how no one is righteous, righteous, not one. And I think uh, as I was reflecting on this, I think that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to spend so much time in the first three and a half chapters um, on our depravity so that when we get to the scripture for today, which is Romans 3, chap, uh, uh, verses 21 through 31, that's just so much sweeter. Um, we can really point to that and say, oh, wow, I get it. I get it. I absolutely needed that. And f- through this, God is providing us a way to realize righteousness um, in him. And so I'm just going to kind of go through the verses because, <laughs> you know, if you've read through the book of Romans, you'll notice that Paul has this habit of extremely long run on sentences. And so it's very hard to kind of you know, break up each verse into a sentence. It doesn't really work that way. There's a lot of commas. Um, so I'll try to keep it as fluid as I possibly can, but, um, but we're going to go verse by verse. And the first, the first verse, verse 21, says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This but now is huge, right? It's the, 
it's the point where Paul is totally shifting gears and he's saying, yep, we're all black-hearted, wretched sinners, but God, God stepped in in our place. And so what is righteousness? There's two different kinds of righteousness that we're going to talk about this morning. There's God's righteousness. That's his perfection, his justice, his holiness. And then there's our righteousness, which is nothing like God's righteousness. You know, we talk about self-righteousness. That's not the same. With God's righteousness, it's all about God's character. It's his nature, that he's perfect, that he's just, that he's holy. But for us, it's about how can we become right with God? So when I say, you know, our righteousness this morning, I'm talking about how can we become right with God? What does it mean that the righteousness is manifested apart from the law? Um, the context of the law here is representing um, the Mosaic law that God gave Moses um, in Exodus 20 to pass on to the Jews. And Paul's saying that being right with God is something that apart from obeying the law that we can still attain through Jesus Christ. Now, for the Jews at the time, this had to be a completely revolutionary concept. And the fact that God used the Apostle Paul, who was one of the Pharisees, one of the Jewish leaders, one of the people that is extremely knowledgeable and um, grounded in the Mosaic law, to then transition into this gospel message is just unbelievable. But the real truth is that standing with God has nothing to do with anything that we can do, anything we can earn, anything that we deserve. Not a single bit of it depends on us. And so in the second half of the verse 21, it says, although the law and the prophets witness to it. So the law and the prophets refers to Old Testament scriptures. He's saying that the righteousness that was apart from the law was still witnessed, still predicted, still declared by the law. So how does the Old Testament reveal this to us? The law that God gave proved to us, it showed us that we are in need of a savior. God's not surprised that we cannot fulfill the law. He's not surprised at all. It's like, it's like an x-ray. Like if you get an x-ray and you see um, you know, a picture of the inside of your body, um, it's just pointing to the fact that you need to be fixed somehow, right? And that's, that's what the law shows us. It shows us that we are impossibly separated from God and there's no way that we can meet his standard. It illuminates our sin. Then there's the prophets. Um, the prophets were God's spokespeople in the Old Testament, declaring what was coming. Um, in the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 53, um, Isaiah provides a gr in great detail about the coming of the Messiah. You know, he takes care of telling us all about the ways that this person, this Savior, is going to meet the needs of the law and rescue God's people from sin. But the fact is, and we sang this in the, in the second song, I think it was today, that the entire Bible points to Jesus. It's not, it's not the Old Testament pointing forward and the New Testament is pointing back to the cross. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the prophecies, the gospels, it's all about Jesus Christ. So moving into chapter, uh, verse 22, I'm going to say chapter probably over and over again. Um, and I am in a little bit of a brain fog this morning. I think I'm on, you know, I'm on some Sudafed, I'm on some uh, antibiotics, um, not completely there. So it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say 
through faith in Jesus Christ plus works or plus being good or plus obeying the law. Um, when, when Adam Flint started this church back in 2011, one of, the, one of the messages that just resonates in my head was he had a message on Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's exactly what this is. It's not about anything we can do to earn favor with God. It's the favor that he's given to us as a gift, a free gift that we don't deserve. I listened to a, a few sermons preparing this week, and uh, one of the pastors uh, said this, and I thought it was kind of funny, um, but I never really thought about it this way. He said, Jesus didn't say on the cross, um, it is almost finished. <laughs> I just need you guys to do a few more things to help me out. He didn't say that. And, it, and if we think about it that way, think about how much that dilutes the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our lives. People in this world have faith in a lot of things outside of Christ Jesus. But faith is only as good as the person or the thing that you put your trust in. It's not ourselves. It's not anything that we are or anything we do. It's not others that you look up to. Um, it's not the church. It's not your pastors. It's not your boss's opinion. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to your eternal salvation is your trust and belief in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm not saying that obedience isn't important, but right now we're talking about how you become accepted by God. Not, we'll get into that as we go through Romans, the sanctification process and how God works in your life. Um, but right now we're talking about what it means to be right with God. In the second part of verse 22, uh, it says, this righteousness is for all who believe for there is no distinction. Distinction. Anyone and everyone can be accepted into the body of Christ. There's no limits. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, um, paraphrasing here, it says that he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Remember the heart of God here. Um, inherently, he loves us. He doesn't want us to spend eternity apart from him why he sent his son to die on the cross. Rightness is got with God is available for everybody. Everybody in this room, everybody in this city, everybody in this country, and everybody in this world. Everybody. Nobody is left out. So moving on to, to verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is him kind of pointing back to what he had said in the first three and a half chapters. But it's important to remember, because in God's eyes, everybody is unrighteous without being cloaked in Jesus. Try to think of the best person that you can possibly think of. Somebody, maybe it's a philanthropist, maybe it's, uh, you know, just somebody who's always happy and always brings people up and all those types of things. Now think of, the, of a person that might be the worst possible person that you can think of. Before our holy God, on our own, not with Christ, but on our own, there's no difference between these two people and their righteousness. They're standing in God apart from Jesus. Everybody needs him. Everybody can connect with him through belief in him. In the first part of verse 24, he gets into the good news and he says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, justification, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kind of big words within this, this, uh, 
these 10 or 11 verses. Um, and justification, or yeah, justification is one of those. And it means declared righteous um, in front of God. But more relatably, think of it as innocent of all charges. So if you are in Christ and you're standing before your heavenly father, you are declared innocent of all charges by his grace. Grace that's undeserved favor. We didn't earn it. We can't take credit for it. And we certainly didn't deserve it. The second part of verse 24 um, says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is another meaning word, which means a ransom payment. So back in this time, you could think of it as like giving a release of a prisoner or paying for a slave's freedom. That's the type of ransom that we're talking about here. And so Jesus is not just a moral example for us to follow, but a ransom payment for the freedom from sin that he gives. Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 28, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he gave his life on the cross to pay our ransom and to set us free because we were slaves in sin before that. And our freedom cost Jesus his life. So in, in verses 25 and 26, let me read those. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at, a time, at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So propitiation. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies. Jesus, Jesus's blood is the payment that satisfies um, our sinful nature. And it should have been us, right? It should have been us. We, don't, we, we should be paying for our own price. We should be um, feeling the wrath of God. But, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin are death. But Jesus stepped in for us. And there's a strong parallel here um, between what Jesus does on the cross and what happened in the Old Testament um, on the Holy Day of Atonement. So in Leviticus, um, where all this is documented, um, what would happen is that every year there would be a Day of Atonement, and the, um, they would gather two goats to be presented to the high priest, and he would take them into the Holy of Holies, which is the most holy place in the tabernacle. That's where they were able to be with God. Um, and only the high priest could go in there. And with the first goat, they would slaughter this goat, and they would collect the blood of this goat, and they would sprinkle it on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant held the law, the Ten Commandments, those, those tablets that, that we read about, um, and the blood was covering the law. And the lid was called the mercy seat. The same word translated in the New Testament what do you think it is? Propitiation. You see the connection? So the second thing that happened was the priest would take the second goat and he would lay hands on this goat and he would confess all the sins of the people on this goat. And then they would release this goat into the wild, never to be seen again, and to be free. So the whole picture is that this blood sacrifice is covering the sin and then the sin is being set free, never to be seen again. 
The Old Testament is, wit is witnessing about what was going to happen, looking forward to the cross, to the coming of the Messiah. Today we're looking back on the cross because we know of Jesus' life, death, death, and resurrection. But again, all the focus is on what Jesus did and his blood, the death by his blood. What we see in the second half of verse 25 is that in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. So does this mean that God allowed sin? No. No, for God to be just, sin must be paid for. Period, end of story. This verse is referring to the idea that God, in his mercy and patience, did not immediately punish sinners for their sins committed before Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Instead, God held off on punishing those sins until Jesus paid the price for them through his death and resurrection. Moving on to verse 26, it points to God's dilemma with our sin. He says, now at this present time, now that Jesus has come and paid the price on the cross, we can see that God is just and that he is the justifier. Because of his holiness, he must punish sin. He can't just wash it under the rug and he can't compromise on it. We see justice, the justice of God through this. Sin had to be paid for in order to not compromise his character. It was paid for by Jesus, and he was the justifier because he was the one who paid the price. So he was just as God, satisfying the sin debt, and then he was the one who made it happen. He was the justifier. But why does he do this? He does it because he loves us. He does it because he created us. He doesn't want to send us to spend eternity apart from him. He wants us to be saved and to be reconciled to him. So what does God to do? That's why he came up with this plan. That's why he had to sacrifice his one and only son for his people. He said, I'll come down myself and pay the price. And those that he loved, he would make it available to everybody. And anybody who chooses to believe will receive his grace and mercy. So again, it's not about anything we do. It's all about him. His mercy, his grace, his sacrifice, his love. All right, in verse 27 and 28, talk about our bragging, our boasting. Um, he makes it impossible for us to be boastful or bragging. He says, then what becomes of our boasting is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Um, I read um, an analogy about this that I thought was kind of interesting. It was about, imagine that you're swimming out in the ocean, you get caught in a riptide, and you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming, but it's, it's pulling you out, and you can't, you can't get past it. You don't know the whole rule to swim right or left or whatever, but so you're trying to swim back to shore, and you start to, you start, start to drown. And then a lifeguard sees you and comes out and saves your life, pulls you in, maybe they have to you know, give you CPR or whatever. Um, you don't get through that scenario where this lifeguard saved your life and then you're like, well, man, good on me. I trusted that lifeguard. You know, uh, you know I, I did everything that I could to die, but he saved me, I guess. Um, it's kind of the same thing that what God is talking about with this gift of salvation and eternal life. The only response that we can possibly have is one of thanks and adoration. We don't brag about our salvation. We're called to share the gospel to bring more people to God. We don't say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's just, it don't work that way, right? 
And if we know about our sinful nature, we know that that's impossible, right? Like, we don't deserve any of that. So Paul reiterates his conclusion based on all this evidence that man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you might say, like, what about um, what the Apostle James says about faith without works is death? Well, first, James was writing this letter to describe, he wasn't describing how to attain righteousness. He was describing what it looks like to prove that you are in Christ. And so he was specifically combating the hypocrisy of people who said um, that they were believers but showed absolutely no evidence in their lives that they were. It was more about proving the reality that if we really believe in Jesus, it's going to affect who we are and how we live. We obey God out of love and appreciation for all that he's done for us. We want to know him, be blessed by him, be used by him. We do it in response to the favor that God has given to us. Okay, in verses 29 and 30, it says, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith. Now, the circumcised by faith were the Jewish people um, and the uncircumcised through faith. And that's all the rest of us. Um, so being right with God was available to everybody. We said that before. And this is fantastic news, right? You know, the whole Testament is all about, you know, God's chosen people. But through Jesus, he has a plan for all of us. We're all sinners, we're all saved by grace of a loving God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that is where there's no room for anything else without him but death. And then finally in verse 31, it says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. When Paul says by no means, it's like, heck no. Um, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So are we saying like, it's, are we saying like Paul, does the law, is the law meaningless? Is it even worthwhile? Does it even have any meaning? It doesn't make us righteous, so what good is it? And that's missing all of what we talked about at the beginning. As I mentioned earlier, it highlights our sinful nature. It shows us a need for a Savior in Jesus Christ, and it points to the coming of Jesus. Amen. So, in conclusion, um, this morning, and I appreciate your, your grace as I've walked through this today. Um, <clears throat> Are you right with God? Have you surrendered your life over to him? Do you believe that you cannot become right with our creator God based on our own abilities or efforts? I know me personally, a lot of days I wake up and I, I try to do it all myself. And guess what? Most of the time it doesn't end up too good, right? And it points me back to my need for Jesus. Being grounded in him, is the only way forward.